I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in the life of this church. Um, it's not happening, again, everywhere, and, and it, what's happening here has kind of been uncommon in regards to the journey that I've been on personally as a pastor. Uh, last week, we had a ton of people get saved here. A ton of people get saved. And it's such a, it's such a very, very cool thing because what we forget is in that moment when people are making commitments to the Lord, that a grandparent's prayer got answered. A parent's prayer got answered. A friend's prayer, it got answered. And uh, eternities were changed in that moment. And it's beautiful to be, be a part of that. And if you were a part of that last week and you committed your life to Christ or you silently committed your life to Christ, you've been here for a while, your next step is baptism. We've got baptism coming up in a couple of weeks and you can go to tc3.church slash baptism to get signed up. I don't know of a cooler place, well, maybe Israel, okay? A cooler place to get baptized than out here in the ocean. It's one of the best things that we do, and so if you have not been baptized, let that be your, be your next step. So we're in this series called Questions That Jesus Asked, and today is going to be one of those talks where it's a bit of a winding road, and so if you're someone who's like, get to the text, it's going to be a minute, okay? But I'm going to get there. Matthew chapter 6, especially verse number 28, it kind of highlights this question that Jesus asks. Why do you worry? Any of you worriers? Okay. All all of us go through spells of being worriers, where we're concerned about things that are out of our control and where we're consumed by things that are happening in the lives of the people that we love in in our own lives. And the question was asked by Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount, and he asked this crowd of of average people just like you and me. Average people in a sense that they had relational struggles, average in a sense that they had financial struggles, average in a sense that they had physical struggles, spiritual struggles, how do I connect with God, like really connect, how could God ever love me, slash forgive me, meet with me? Average people like you and me, Jesus asked this question, why do you worry? And he asks us this same question. So the question that I have is, why are you worried? What stresses you out? What's keeping you up at night? What keeps you distracted from enjoying the life of beauty that God has given you and the life of blessing that God has given you? Dr. Thomas, or Dr. Lewis Thomas, he uh, had this quote, and I thought it was just very, very interesting. He said, we perhaps, uniquely among Earth's creatures, are the worrying animal. Like, look at nature, look at creation. We humans, we kind of have the corner of the market on worry. People have the corner of the market on worry. Maybe chihuahuas with them, but people people in the most, for the most part, have the corner of the market. Now, during COVID, um, we, we adopted a fur baby, okay? Her name is Misty Gray. Uh, she's a silver lab. Uh, I, I wanted a dog, and I felt like Carol needed a little more responsibility. And so, so we brought Misty Gray into our house. Now, I- interestingly enough, she is always happy to see me. Every time I come home, she is happy 
to see me. This is the routine that Carol and the dog go through while I'm watching the football game. Watch this thing while I talk through this, but always happy, always happy to see me. Never worries about anything at all, not a concern at all in her life. And when she sighs, it's because she's getting ready to saw some logs. When someone that you love sighs, it's a completely different story, isn't it? What's going on? When a dog sighs, it means that they're going into REM sleep. She doesn't worry because she has complete and total faith and trust in us. To worry, the definition of worry means to strangle. Worry has this way of strangling the life out of us. We worry about what we have and what we don't have, what's going to happen in the future, or how things are going to happen. And if we continue to worry about that, it will strangle the life out of us. And the problem with worry is, especially if you have kids, worry is infectious. It infects the spirit, and it causes us to then spread that infection to those that are around us. It steals emotional energy. It wastes time. It distracts us from the blessings of life that we have. So much of us have wasted so much time worrying. And we've missed the favor and the blessing of the Lord that we're walking in today. And the joy of walking with the people that we get to walk with today. Because worry robs us of our joy. And worry makes us, understand this, worry makes us miserable, and it makes us miserable to hang out with as well. So if you are prone to worry, and you are a worrier, and, and like people were with you for a while, and then you're looking around, and you're like, nobody's around here, that's because worry maybe has vexed your spirit. I love what E. Stanley Jones said. He was a missionary author, and, and when you think about this, it kind of causes you to pause. He said, worry is atheism. I was like, wow. And I started to kind of think about that and contemplate uh, that statement. And the fact of the matter is, is, worry implies that there isn't a God. Or if there is a God, he doesn't care. Or he is unwilling to get involved with our situation or unable to act. The worrier thinks, man, it's all up to me. Like some of us, we have situations going on in our life and we're like, I'm the only one. Are you really? Are you really the only one? The worrier assumes responsibility of carrying the stress of unmanageable situational outcomes and the actions of other people. And we worry about these things that we have literally no control of. Worry is a form of atheism that agonizes, it grieves our spirit. If I don't, it's not going to happen, and it vexes us. And Jesus, thankfully, he had a few things to say about worry. His longest discourse is on the topic of worry because he knew that they were worriers and that we also would struggle with worry. So obviously this issue of worry has been around for the long, a long time. So if you're worried, I want you to take a minute and listen to the words of Jesus. Some of you just might need to close your eyes and just drink this in if worry has vexed your spirit. Jesus said these words, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, 
or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or even store away, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. Critical insights from that passage of Scripture is Jesus mentions three times, he says, listen, don't worry. Don't be a worrier. Don't be a worry wart. That, that comes from an old wives' tales of moms going, hey, don't pick up that frog because you're going to get warts. Does that actually happen? No. And most of the things that we worry about don't actually happen. Jesus repeats, do not worry, so that we'll take it to heart. When Jesus asks, why do you worry, the question is, is Jesus intending to comfort us, or is he challenging us, or is he rebuking us? Now, if you read this passage differently, it will kind of give you different facets of what Jesus is saying. How you hear this passage depends on the inflection that you use. Now, think about these questions because Jesus is asking questions in this passage of Scripture. Ever had somebody come up to you and go, how you doing? Well, that question can mean a couple of different things. If you've got four boxes and you're coming to a locked door and that person is like, how are you doing? It's either an invitation for them to help or just some agitation that they're bringing to you. What are you doing? That can mean a sincere question. Hey, what are you, what are you doing? What's going on? That can mean that, you know, I want to be a part of helping whatever you got going on in your life. Or if you're driving with somebody and they scream at you, what are you doing? That's completely different, isn't it? That means you're an idiot, okay? And so as we read these, there's different facets to it. Where are you going? That's an invitation for someone to maybe join you on that journey. They're asking, where are you going? Or it could be a rebuke. If you're a teenager and your parent says to you, hey, what did you do last night? Like, that can be a sincere, like, hey, I just want to know what you're doing last night. Or that can be an inquisition. And you have to answer those, that question very, very carefully. When Jesus asks, why do you worry? It's not just reassurance. I think there's a little bit of a rebuke in there as well. I think if you read the passage in the context and, and the shape that it's in, it gives us this sense of reassurance that God is in control, but there's also a little bit of rebuke in there to where he's going, why are you worrying? When you look around and you see the grass of the fields, how I take care of them, and it, that grass doesn't matter. Why do you worry? Here's the problem. 
He says it three times, don't worry. Now, when someone tells you not to worry, what does that do? Makes you worry a little bit. Doctor says, hey, I see a little something on this, on this, you know, x-ray. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. What do you do? You worry about it. You go into Dr. Google mode, and you look up every bad thing that could happen as a result of that x-ray. You're on an airplane. Hey, we're going to experience a little turbulence in about five minutes. Everything's going to be fine. We'll get through that. What are you doing? You're worrying a little bit because you're on that airplane, and you're not in control of that airplane, and so you are bothered by that comment. The peace that comes from Jesus' teaching is not really found in the call to stop worrying. It's found in the rhetorical questions that Jesus asks. Jesus asks a ton of questions, as we've discovered in this series, because Jesus engages us in this way, you know, it causes us to contemplate a little bit more. It causes us to end up asking ourselves the question, well, since the question came in, how do I respond to the question that Jesus is asking? And Jesus uses rhetorical questions to remind us that we don't need to worry because we have to examine the question that he's asking. Rhetorical questions, they're different than any other question. Like we punctuate a rhetorical question differently. Like it can be a question mark or an exclamation point depending on the question. Before the 17th century, printers would use a, a, a question mark turned around to kind of give us a picture that a rhetorical question was being asked. Rhetorical questions are asked people to draw conclusions, not to get answers. When someone asks a rhetorical question, they're not expecting to get an answer. When someone says to me, what are you, stupid? I'm not answering that question. I don't think that's healthy. It's a trap. The answer to a rhetorical question is usually obvious. Oftentimes in the car with my wife, when she gets a little tense, I say to her, hey, in our, in our 30 years of marriage, have I ever been in an accident with you? I'm not expecting an answer, but it's a rhetorical question. But she has legitimate concern. Jesus asks a series of rhetorical questions about worry, and they lead the listener to an obvious conclusion. When I read that passage of Scripture, it led us all to an obvious conclusion. The answers are so obvious to us that it kind of leads us to this place where it's, we understand that it's kind of foolish and futile to, to worry. The questions that he asks, he really challenges the validity of worry at all. How can you add a day to your life by worrying? Like, why, why am I doing that then? And so let's kind of look at these questions because the rhetorical questions kind of help us conquer worry. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Then he goes and asks this question. He said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's saying what you and I realize every time a hurricane blows through South Florida. 
that the stuff that we have doesn't matter. The relationships that we have, that's what matters. Materialism is not the most important thing in life. The most important things in life have actually nothing to do with materialism. Is not life more than, is what he's saying. Materialism, you know, the trap of materialism is that we think that it leads to happiness. And what, what we find out is that materialism actually can lead to loneliness. This passage doesn't mean that, hey, we shouldn't care about anything, like we shouldn't care about what we wear or, or we shouldn't save or we shouldn't manage well with God is, what God has given us. It means that we shouldn't be anxious about it. It means that we should take no anxiety with us as we live day to day. Take no worry with us. And Jesus says, he said, listen, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, yet God takes care of them. And then he asks this question, where peace is found. He said, are you not much more valuable than they are? If God provides daily for the birds of the air who don't plan, who don't invest, who don't save, who are of little earthly value, aren't we way more important to God than them? Especially knowing that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And the conclusion we draw is since God provides for them, God will certainly provide for us no matter what our concern or worry is, because we're valued by God. And then he said these words, can you add one more single hour to your life by worrying? And the obvious answer is no. Worry doesn't solve any problems. It doesn't change things. And then he said, why do you worry about clothes? Again, he's saying, and this is the kind of the one that he repeats a few times, like, listen, stop worrying about stuff that doesn't matter. Let me be in charge of that stuff. And then he says, consider the lilies. Look at the, look at the wildflowers of the fields. And he says, learn from them. No gardener comes and plants those lilies or wildflowers of the field. No gardener comes and waters them. No gardener comes and hovers over those flowers. It's God and God alone that takes care of those beautiful flowers. God provides everything that those flowers need, and God alone protects them. Look at the beautiful flowers of the field, he says, and you get a picture of a mountain meadow with these flowers that are dancing in the wind, cared for and content. He's saying, take a lesson from those. He said, G he said, Jesus said, even Solomon, in all of his splendor, dude like to dress, it talks about in Scripture, was not even dressed like one of these. Consider the lilies. Then he comes and hits us with a question. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then thrown in the fire, tomorrow. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Since God takes care of the smallest details of all of creation, 
will he certainly not take care of us? And then Jesus answers this question of worry. Like, well, what do we do? He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. That's where we can put put steps of faith into play. Seek first his kingdom. He said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day, and this is so true, each day has enough trouble of its own. And then you dig into the text of Scripture. I mean, this issue of worry is is prevalent throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. God speaks to it. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on him because he cares about us. Cast all of your anxiety, anxiety on God is what he said. The text says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So how do we do that? Like, how, how do we really like, break free of this issue of worry? Well, one of the things we can do, and this is how we cast it, is we decide to be humble enough to trust God with whatever makes us anxious. We just give it to him. We hand it over. We humble ourselves. We resign from being CEO of the universe, and we let God do what only God can do. Here's the thing. Think about this. God won't carry an anxiety that you won't hand over to him. Paul gave us the keys to carefree living. Philippians chapter 4, Paul is facing uncertainty, death even. And he said these words. He says it over and over in the book of Philippians. A lot of people say, well, you don't know. You don't understand. Paul, Paul's life was on the line. And he writes these words. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, not sometimes, but always. And then he said, I'll say it again. Rejoice. There is always something to be thankful. Let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, it says in the text of Scripture, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, give your anxiety to God. Pray anxiety away. Action step, be thankful about everything. We can hand it over because we're mindful of what God has done and thankful for the things that he's doing, if you step back from your situation, God is active. Look for it. Think about what God has done in the past and let that be something that encourages your faith today. It's okay to be concerned. It's not okay to be consumed. It's okay to be burdened, but it's not okay to be buried by the weight of concern. I was thinking about this and Kind of as we go through life, it's there, there are these pivotal moments in life. And I, I was reading this book, and, and, a, and a, the author was talking about a conversation that he had with some pastors who, you know, just had to trust God the whole way. And some of the pastors were saying, man, we were so poor that we didn't have any groceries, and man, there'd be a knock on the door, and God delivered us groceries. We were so poor, we didn't have a house, we had to sleep in the church. 
you know, God came through. We were so desperate at times when we didn't have transportation and God somehow showed up. These pastors were all in the retirement years and he said, well, how's it going now? And they looked at him and they smiled and they said, you know what? Same God, same God today as he was yesterday. And I go back into my own story and I, I think about when, when our son was born, we had all the, the finances lined up for everything, but Carol had to have a C-section. Uh, it was an emergency C-section. We weren't prepared for that. The anesthesiologist, uh, his bill came and it was 500 bucks. We had everything else paid for and I was like, and he was a believer at the church down the street and I was like, Lord, help me with this thing. Wouldn't you know it, like three days later, this guy bangs on my door and he said, this is crazy, man. But the Lord wouldn't let me rest. He told me to bring 500 bucks over to your house. Handed it right off to me. I'm like, how cool is that? Before we came here, I was like, God, you gotta sell our house for us. And we need top of the market, God. Would you, would you pull that off so that we would know that this is what we're supposed to do? Wouldn't you know that when we got the call that you know, the vote had gone through and we accepted the call here, about two o'clock in the afternoon, my phone rings and there's a guy in my driveway. He said, hey, listen, man, I wanna see your house. For sale by owner, top of the market. He bought stuff that we were just talking about getting rid of that was in our house. I think about that all the time. God came through. When we got here, like I needed transportation. We brought one vehicle with us. I was trying to figure it out. So I, I, I grabbed this thing called a newspaper. It's actually like print on paper. There's a classified section there. And I started looking in cars. I picked out this car that I wanted. I showed up at the guy's house and the guy shows me the car. Wouldn't you know what? He goes, he goes to TC3. And as I'm getting ready to pay, he said, no man, I just feel like the Lord wants me to give you this car. Gave it to me. What are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? I think about, and this is just some of my stories. I think about my son. Remember those old Lincoln Continentals, those big long ones from the 70s? Like those things, they, they, they got away like 50,000 tons. They're heavy, heavyweight cars. I remember my son was like waving goodbye to me and he was in the back seat and a teenager slammed his arm in the door. I saw the door shut and I saw his hand and I was like, that thing's busted. Nope. I was like, God took care of my kid in that moment. I remember being here at the church towards the end of the year complaining that we hadn't met budget, but we had paid every single bill that we owed. I'm complaining, I'm the only one at the church. I hear the doors of the church rattle. I go open the doors and this guy, he comes in, he'd been at our church like two times. And he's like, man, I just feel compelled. I'm supposed to you know, write a check for the church and he slides $20,000 across my desk. I'm like, that stuff just doesn't happen. The Lord does that kind of stuff. And I remember when TC3 was cash poor in regards to move, making our next move, trying to figure out what we were gonna do before we got to this location here. And I remember a guy dropping off $100,000 in stocks. You know what that gave us? The ability to get to what's next. You won't always know where it's coming from. You won't always know what's when, it, when it's gonna come. But if you look back, just like I told my stories, you've got your stories. And don't let the enemy ever, ever take away your stories because he's the same God. 
He was faithful then. He'll be faithful again and again. And here's the cool part. If you stay with it long enough, you might just move from that person who receives to be that person who responds. You know what the problem is? If we're honest about it, why we worry, we don't like living by faith. But here's the thing. You know when you're closest to God? When you have to live by faith. Let's not be consumed by the spirit of worry.